This show is part of the Pika Science Podcast, studying the intersection of video games and science. Coming to you live from a radio tower near you, studying the intersections of video games and science. This is Pokey Science. Well, well, welcome everyone to an episode of Pokey Science, a podcast chat fest where an interdisciplinary group of Pokemon enthusiasts gather around to talk about science and culture in the Pokemon world. I'm one of your episode hosts today, Dr. Ray, and I'm joined by... Hey, it's Brittany. And we also have a special guest joining us as well to talk about the topic today of bioluminescence. Who are we joined by today? Hi, Gretchen Garish. Hello, Gretchen. Hi, Ray. Hi, Brittany. (laughs) Hello, hello. So, Gretchen, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, who you are, what's your background, what do you do? Sure. I am a evolutionary ecologist who loves all things tiny and microscopic that live in the water. So my background is studying these tiny, mostly hard-to-see individuals that represent a huge number of the organisms that live in both our freshwater and marine oceans. In 2001, I got introduced to a group of bioluminescent marine ostracods. These are tiny crustaceans, about three millimeters in size, that live all throughout the Caribbean. And ever since I saw their illuminating reproductive displays, I have been entranced by luminescence how it's evolved across the ocean systems, and what we can learn from it. Currently, I serve as the director of the University of Wisconsin-Madison's Trout Lake Station. It's a small research station way in northern Wisconsin, where we study many of the lakes that are found throughout this region. Occasionally, I still get back to the Caribbean to do some marine work on the luminescent ostracods, but in the meantime, I use the same cameras and answer a lot of the same questions about tiny crustaceans in the lakes around us up here. Awesome. So I know you kind of like hit the background of what you're doing here. Um, Any new current research you're working on? And kind of how did you get interested in this topic? Yeah, many of the tiny organisms that live in aquatic systems have really unique life histories. Some of them can be dormant for hundreds of years and then pop back out of the sediments. Some of them have reproductive structures that uh, if you scaled it up to our size, you'd be just shocked and amazed by the behaviors or structures related to their successful reproduction or ability to defend themselves. And so those invisible parts of these tiny beings are part of what I've been exploring since really my undergraduate career and then all throughout my graduate career. The reason I think these are so interesting is when organisms are our size, we can really see these structures and begin to ask and understand questions. But all of the invisible organisms in our systems really make up a huge quantity and a huge important role in the ecosystem function. I was first introduced to bioluminescence As part of my grad work and my first exposure was actually this crazy night dive. So my first time seeing the ostracods, I was with my major advisor and a peer graduate student, and we were in the waters just off a little island in Belize, and they had both had more night diving experience than I had, and they said, here, hold the end of these ropes. And they proceeded to hold the ropes, and the two of them swam in circles around me, and I'm sitting in the bottom of the ocean in a seagrass bed having these two people swim around me, no lights on at all. And as I'm sitting there, I start to see these lights erupt off of the sea floor. And they were these tiny ostracods doing their reproductive displays. And so I'm holding these lights, they're swimming around me, I'm getting tied up, diving underneath the water. 
watching the most amazing sight I've ever seen. And eventually I just let go of the ropes and watched the show. <laughs> it ended up being a really interesting night dive where I witnessed some behaviors and the number of lights that happen in the ocean are really incredible and very little understood still. Yeah, I think that's amazing. I feel like that's a very fair way to be addressed in the topic because I feel like I'd be like, whoa. It sounds like a scene from a video game. Exactly. I actually got really interested in the immortal jellyfish at one point. So I'm like, I don't really know anything about this topic. I'm like, oh, except for that one time that I like went off on a deep dive tangent on those. Yeah, they are definitely a cool group. And I think the life cycle and the strategies of these things, there is, you know, we always have this human bias to what we call normal. And the inverts just don't agree with that. They all have such cool clonal and interesting reproductive strategies that are fun to explore. So Gretchen, what do you know about Pokemon? What I know about Pokemon is a bit guided by my two children, who are now teenagers. Uh, Luke and Alex introduced me to Pokemon as cart traders when they were back. Uh, probably started collecting when they were four, three, four, five years old. And we got the big binders and boxes full of Pokemon cards. And at for them, it was a lot about trading cards. And so I was the assistant trying to find the next novel card and uh, my older one especially took a more intellectual approach. He started playing with friends some and trading up all the time. Yeah, that definitely makes me think of me and my brother because we definitely had like our big binders of Pokemon cards when we were kids. Yeah, so I have played with them. I understand the game, but I will admit a lot of it is kind of mainstream knowledge. Have you always been aware of Pokemon ever since they came out as like this interesting sciencey topic or... I like to track kind of the use of the biology, especially when it comes to luminescence across different types of kind of entertainment genres. So I, I like watching the Pokemon and I thought that was one of the funnest parts of the cards. But I also see luminescence come into other things. Subnautica was a really fun game that had tons of ocean dwelling luminescent creatures. And there's one um, called Evolution that I just think is fun that I've played with the kids a lot. And so I think it's really interesting when the science kind of inundates a video game and world of kind of gaming yeah i really wanted to bring in subnautica as like a topic to talk about because that's all you see are those glowing creatures like in the depths of their deep darkness and i think you even see bits of it maybe in minecraft as well where different structures will start glowing and so it's it's a really hot topic in video games and so that's why it's so exciting to have you on to talk about it i actually play dreamlight valley too I'm obsessed with Dreamlight Valley. I play a ton of it. It's my like go-to like relaxed game. And in the new DLC, A Rift in Time, there's actually all these tiny little flowers that are like kind of bioluminescent in there. In the one um, area that I just unlocked. Yeah, bioluminescence is awe-inspiring, right? It hits that other sense that we are talking about more and more now. And so I think it's really neat when it comes into the spaces. And there is a ton of science behind it that makes it equally intriguing some ways subnautica and some of the marine games especially so almost 75 percent of the organisms in the pelagic open ocean are luminescent really and so if I the game's not capturing wow. it then they're actually doing a disservice yeah isn't that a lot yes wow i had no idea it was that many i thought it was like a, a rarity to come across over 500 meters it actually goes up to almost 90 percent yeah, I wouldn't guess that either. I thought it would have been a much smaller amount. In the coastal zones, um, you know, it's 2 to 5%, so not 
as common, but in the open ocean and the deep ocean, it is the norm for sure. It's fair. It's dark. They need some way to kind of see things, I guess. Yeah. For them to use eyes and light as a sensory, then they have to produce their own. That's kind of how it works. Talking about the depths and getting into the, the deepness of a topic, can you tell us what is bioluminescence, Gretchen? That's a big yeah. question to ask. <laughs> <laughs> Explain an entire like hu huge field and topic for us, please. I think bioluminescence is somewhat limited and nice in its definition in that what we usually use the term bioluminescence for is the production of light by a living organism. And there are different words that we can use or different ways that organisms do deal with light. And so a lot of biological organisms like corals and plants and flowers can fluoresce. So it's called fluorescence. And fluorescence is not a chemical light production. Instead, it's basically light comes in at a certain level and then it gets amplified. And so as it comes back to our eyes, it looks kind of neon or bright. And so fluorescence is very different in that it's not actual light production, it's light amplification. And if you've ever been in like a black light situation, that's what you're looking at is fluorescence. The other one that people often kind of pair with bioluminescence is what's called phosphorescence. And phosphorescence is where phosphorus molecules actually absorb light energy, store it, and then they can put it back out to you. So that's like your glow-in-the-dark watch or you know something you hold up to the light to get that kind of green glow. So then what we really refer to as bioluminescence, sometimes we call it chemiluminescence, meaning it's got a chemical start to it, is a mix of an enzyme protein and it creates this oxidation reduction reaction and the product, the energy product of that is a cold light. And so that's the most common form of bioluminescence. And as I've been talking about different things, I've really just been talking about chemiluminescence, which is what we commonly refer to as bioluminescence. So I know you told us that there's like a humongous portion of, you know, our aquatic animals that are bioluminescent. Like what other sorts of living creatures might be bioluminescent? Yeah. And just to, to come back to that, within the ocean, there's a huge number of luminescent organisms. There's really no organisms that have been observed to luminesce in freshwater. In like estuary systems, there's a few taxa, but no luminescence has really evolved to succeed in freshwater systems. In land, we do find organisms that can luminesce. There's about 2,000 um, different species of terrestrial organisms that can luminesce. And most of those are in the insect world, which isn't that surprising because insects are our most diverse group. Things like fireflies and click beetles. And there's also a lot of worms. There are some fungus that can luminesce. Not a ton of different types, but the ones that can sometimes are really found in high abundance or, or pretty widely distributed. And plants are not known to luminesce, as far as I know. I always feel like someone's going to come back and say wait but they have there's this one so. exception in the like in this very remote place that <laughs> and no one even lives there but we found it a flower single a uh, single petal on a flower the big exception is the human made luminescent plants which people have taken genes and proteins from things like fungus and other things to try to create growing plants for our entertainment are there any mammals or anything along those lines that luminesce, bioluminesce, I, 
I should say. Not that I know of. Fishes, for sure. Yeah, so there are vertebrates. There's definitely luminescent fish, but I don't even know of any terrestrial, like, reptiles or other mammal, bird species that luminesce. I'm sad to hear that there's no bioluminescence in freshwater, because along with not having bioluminescence, they also don't have echinoderms, which is what I have a passion for. Freshwater has lots of great things, but I agree. And both of those are probably somewhat limited by chemistry. I would imagine, too, with, like, your freshwater areas are going to be like more shallow too and less of a need for that bioluminescence to exist. Yeah, and visibility is poor, right? There's There are some clear freshwater systems, but if you're trying to use light to communicate and you can only see four or five feet versus in the ocean where you have you know, 40 to 50 feet visibility, it would definitely make a difference. Definitely makes sense why you wouldn't see them there. So you mentioned a little bit about how bioluminescence or like, I guess, fluorescent proteins along those lines are used in research. From your perspective, why is bioluminescence important to study besides that it looks really cool? (laughs) I think that when we get to know nature, it has a lot to teach us both in the way that it uses its chemicals and these structures for diversification and just maintaining the ecosystem itself. So I always put a plug in for just base natural history because learning from the organisms, how they adapt and deal with the environment and the changes we're putting in, to me, is really important. Um, Luminescence, though, also the history of luminescence research is one of those areas where we've actually been able to take the products or the chemistry behind luminescence and integrate it into technologies that we use every day for extremely important medical research. The best example is probably green fluorescent protein. So green fluorescent protein was originally observed in the Aquaria jellyfish, and then it was brought into the lab and expressed and explored, eventually they were able to take that protein and integrate it into other organisms and look at different developmental pathways. It was then put into pretty much every biomedical research lab uses some form of green fluorescent protein or other structural fluorescent proteins to help identify like different genomes and different sections of DNA or different developmental abnormalities. Luminescence is widely used throughout our medical research field and many of our other environmental kind of evolutionary understanding. Could you tell us what your favorite glowing feature is and why? I'm very biased (laughs) because I've worked on them for 22 years now, but my favorite creature is a bioluminescent marine ostracod, occasionally called a sea firefly. They are a adorable small crustacean, so about three millimeters in size, and they have a little hinged carapace that covers their whole body. They have a giant eye that's made up of 16 different lenses, so it looks kind of like this giant bee eye on the front of their face, and then a couple of swimming antenna that come out of a big old nose-like rostrum. So they're super cute. I think they would make a perfect Pokemon with their giant nose and super big, cute eyes. And the reason I'm so intrigued by them is they have a really incredible defense and their reproductive behaviors have allowed them to have rapid diversification throughout the Caribbean. And so that's a big part of what we study in them. And everywhere we go, we find new species, which keeps me intrigued to explore the next locations. I'm like looking at pictures of them right now and it, that is such a pretty uh-huh. blue. And look at they fluoresce. Yeah, there's one called Gigantocypris and it's wild the eyes on that one are kind of incredible. So ostracods are 
very Pokemon like if you look at the <laughs> the cute the cute Oh one. my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just saw a picture of Gigantosiparus. It looks like a, it definitely looks like a a monster or a monster Pokemon. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Somebody turned it into a Pokemon card they actually. Did? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, the, one of its moves is ugliness. So Aww. sad. Poor baby. But that uh, leads me into a side question of, are, does uh, bioluminescence happen in a range of different colors? It does. The common, most common colors are red and blue and green. And then occasionally you'll get a yellow color. So in the ocean, some of the most common kind of shallow water colors that you'll see are blue. And then in the deep ocean, you get a lot more reds. In terrestrial systems, we seem to have a little bit more green and yellow tint to the luminescence, but they can kind of happen across habitats. Is there a reasoning behind the the separation of colors like that in the different regions or different habitats? That's a good question. I don't think I have all the answers for like the blues and the greens, but in the ocean, red is a color that is very hard for organisms in the ocean to see. So red light gets wiped out by ocean water really quickly or absorbed. So you actually can't see red very far. So if you're trying to kind of camouflage or communicate without predators seeing you in the deep ocean, then you might use a red light versus if you're trying to draw in prey or trying to be seen from far away, you would use a blue or green light because most vision systems have good resolution in those wavelengths. But red's hard to see. Blue and greens are much easier. And then I have one more follow-up question. Why does your ostracod bioluminesce? Do you know why? Yeah, so ostracods can be found all throughout the world in freshwater and marine systems. In the ocean, uh, this lineage has evolved evolved luminescence for defense. And so when a fish eats them, they exude all of their luminescence. So these guys actually like spit it all out. The chemicals mix in the water. And it's a big cloud. Folks have phrased it the flash bomb defense. So it's like, <laughs> and then it lights up the fish that just ate them. And so one idea is that would then draw in a bigger fish to then eat it. But also about 75% of the time, the fish will spit out the ostracod. So either it tastes bad or they're like, what just happened? And they spit out the ostracod. Hmm. So the luminescence in ostracods originally evolved as a defense. Only in the Caribbean has it evolved as part of a reproductive courtship system. Or that's the only place we've found it. And we have looked in quite a few places worldwide. So in the Caribbean, male ostracods will put out this little string of lights that then hangs in the water column. and that is a signal that's very species specific. The females will then come up and intercept the male. That's very, very cool. It's super cool. Yeah. And on a single coral reef, you can often see like six to eight species all doing their thing. And so some species will have these low pulses going upwards. Another species will have this little trail of lights going horizontal. Other ones will be flashing like a camera, just shooting down in the water column. So they can all go over the same kind of coral reef habitat, but they've got their own light language. And here I was just imagining the ocean was just dark all the time. No way, especially if you go out right kind of an hour after sunset on a moonless night. It'll look brighter underwater than it does up above. Well, should we talk about some Pokemon, everyone? Absolutely. First one that I wanted to talk about or ask you about, Gretchen, is the bioluminescent Pokemon Chinchow and Lantern, which seem to be heavily influenced by the anglerfish, which people talk about all the time because of the cool YouTube videos or they're very, they're portrayed as like these 
vicious creatures in the water, but they're actually really tiny. What can you tell us about anglerfish and this form of bioluminescence that they use? Yeah, so my understanding, I think it's kind of interesting. I, From what I know, it sounds like Chin Chow uses luminescence as both to lure prey and to defend, which seems very accurate and deep in the ocean. So those are also ways that anglerfish use luminescence is to lure prey in and defend, and they both live deep in the ocean. One of the interesting things is that Chinchao pairs electric currents with the light production. And so there are fish like to torpedo fish that actually can like generate electricity and shock things when they touch them or an electric eel and stuff. So there are fish that can actually generate that energy in their bodies and electrical things. Anglerfish don't do that. So it's kind of like chinchow is like a hybrid anglerfish and torpedo fish in some ways. And then I think uh, the evolution to lantern, lantern's much more like an anglerfish. And so they both share that they have their little lure that they attract things with actually has bacteria in it that luminesces and they just make a little cup that holds the bacteria. And so that's how many fish luminesce. Actually, most fish that luminesce don't produce their own light. They'll have pockets where they house bacteria that luminesce, and then they, you know, kind of cultivate those. They're around in the environment, and then they grow them. And so that is how lantern also cultivates. It feeds it with its own body fluids and then cultivates these old bacteria in its lure. And so that's more similar to how an anglerfish would really do it, which I think is kind of cool. It is pretty interesting. So I have two fish that, from what I've learned from you already here today, do not seem on track with science. Finion and Luminion. I know there's, when you look on like Bulbapedia, it, all of the fish that it relates it to are freshwater fish. And I was like, we don't have any glowing freshwater fish. It does say that Finion kind of creates this luminescence from like absorbing energy from sun. Is there anything that would create a bioluminescence in that way? Or is this completely fictional for Pokemon? Well, there are bioluminescent algae. So there are dinoflagellates are probably the most common bioluminescence that we see. And they take energy from the sun and photosynthesize very much like plants. But they're unicellular floating around in the water. And so it is not unheard of that uh, you would have a photosynthetic bacteria or kind of unicellular algae that would harvest energy from the sun. And then that would be what would feed the chemical reaction that produces the light. And finion and luminion? Luminion, yes. I was going to bring up those, <laughs> those other little hatch fish next. Okay, cool. But yes, if you can tell us, that's another reason. I just thought it was interesting, though, that when you look on Bulbapedia, it, like, all ha- it has a bunch of freshwater fish kind of listed. And we learned from you today that that's not something that happened. So I just thought that was like an interesting little little thing there. Yeah, counter-illumination is something that happens in a lot of fish. And when we think about that, it's not always having to do with the fish producing light. So I think I always think first of like a shark or like an orca is another good example where if you were up above a shark that is like dark on top or an, an orca, right, like a killer whale, they're really dark on top, which means if you're swimming at the surface and you look down on that fish, that is going to blend in with the depths of the ocean or the dark sea floor. 
versus if you're swimming underneath a fish so say you're coming up from below and the belly is black it would be this dark belly against a light sky so you could see it really well but orcas and many sharks and other fishes will have like a white underbelly and so when you're looking up even that white underbelly is more likely to blend in from the light with the light from the sky so that's called counter illumination even though it doesn't mean the fish is producing light we see that in freshwater and in marine systems so i feel like maybe that's a reference very well could be yeah, but hatchet fish are special, and they sound more like these guys, uh, like Finian and Luminion, than some of the freshwater fishes, because hatchet fish have what are called photophores, which are like these little pockets of light producing, light production that are along their underside. And so they literally, like, if you're looking at up at them from below, you wouldn't see them because they would wash out. It'd be like having a, a dim light against a bright background light and you just wouldn't even hardly see it or it would break up the silhouette of that fish. So it looked like a bunch of little fish instead of one giant big tasty morsel. Which would make sense. Trying yeah. to not be eaten, but also trying to be pretty to make other things look at us yeah, so, so, f- so that they can eat it. <laughs> Photophores are are, uh, a different strategy than some of the angler, and they're definitely mostly for defense, although they can use them for like communicating with their neighbor too sometimes. This is a bit of a tangent. I remember scouring the Pokedex looking for these bioluminescent Pokemon. And it's so funny to think about, I could only find like these four, talking about Chinchou and Finian and others. And when you talk about like the percentage of ones that have bioluminescent capabilities in real life, are there other ways that you know that fish or other like marines besides what you've already talked about use bioluminescence that could be integrated into the Pokemon games or in the Pokemon lore? Yeah, a couple of worms, I think, I come to mind. So there's this one luminescent psyllid that happens throughout the Caribbean also. And basically it does these, it's all, it's a reproductive display mostly, but the females will do this crazy spin and they'll put out a cloud of luminescence. And then the males come flashing into her and they have this really like rapid flash. And then when they hit, she actually can break apart into multiple pieces and spreads her eggs everywhere. And so like half of the body swims one way, the reproductive half mixes everything up. And so I think it's kind of cool. A lot of worms have that strategy, right? Where they can like break and leave pieces off and then regenerate. <laughs> and so I think there is some really cool worm stuff that could go on. I don't know, the terrestrial cave worms in New Zealand is another like one of the terrestrial examples. And they actually use their mucus to form these crazy luminescent webs. And then they sit in the middle and like collect things that get attracted to the light. That also seems fair game. So a couple of worms. The other one is a scale worm, which you find in the shallows. And they actually, they have luminescence and they have these like sequin almost undertones to the scales that they have on their body. And so they'll do these crazy reactions to predators where they like spin around and shoot off these luminescent scales, which seems like it would be beautiful to recreate. And I feel like that'd be an awesome move to like, it's like scales flying out, you know? Seems like it. Right? Surprise! <laughs> they, we need to have you like consult with uh, the Pokemon company, Gretchen, so you can tell them all these moves and all these opportunities that they're missing out on. And also, can you imagine like a large, I'm imagining like some huge like glowing worm, though not like a normal size worm. I'm imagining like what if they had like, some like Snorlax sized worm with like teeth that was glowing. That would be terrifying and deadly. <laughs> I like <laughs> we need it. it. Yeah, and jellyfish, right? Are there any 
I don't know if there's any like jellyfish Pokemon. There are jellyfish Pokemon, but neither of them, I don't think they're glowing. No, they like, that's like I, one thing that you would want really hard. to be glowing and, and they're just not glowing. Yeah, that seems like fair game. There's a Pokemon called Nihilego, which which is kind of referencing like a non-local species of jellyfish. And it's actually from a different universe in the Pokemon games. And I tried so hard to fit it in here to see if it glowed in some instance. There's like cutscenes with it in the video game. And I'm just like, I can't justify like putting this in as like a bioluminescent <laughs> jellyfish. Like it didn't glow. Yeah. It didn't do anything. It was very disappointing. There's a new release of Pokemon Snap and they actually incorporate a little bit more bioluminescence into it. And they have these marine settings but i would have to go review it again to see like who is actually glowing but then we get into the problem like is that canon is that not canon do these jellyfish glow pokemon needs a new better no i feel like there's i feel like older pokemon didn't have quite as much thought put into them as like newer generations because i feel like the newer generations of pokemon definitely do have you can tell like a lot more thought into real world species was put into making them and like tying them into the area that the game set and everything which i really enjoy so much potential i know there's even a Pokemon that it kind of makes uh, the Northern Lights Deoxys. But I, then I couldn't like, there was no dis- official description of it being able to do yeah. that. And I'm like, oh, I want to incorporate it in so badly. Our little our little mushrooms, though, are Morlal and Shenotic. It says that they kind of produce bioluminescent like spores. Is this something that a real world, like any fungi or mushrooms would do? Yeah, there are definitely luminescent mushrooms. There's one called the jack-o'-lantern mushroom that even occurs up here in northern Wisconsin where I live. They basically, at the right time of night, with the right conditions of humidity, they'll emit this really green glow. And it is a bioluminescence, so it's actually a like chemical reaction. And there's a lot of discussion about why it happens. One of the big hypotheses is that it draws in small insects that then disperse their spores. But the interesting thing is it will glow underground even when there are no spores to be dispersed. <laughs> so then it begs the question of why glow underground? Yeah. What's that expression like? Does a tree fall in the woods or make a noise in the woods if no one's around uh, to hear it? Does a mushroom go in the ground if nobody's around to watch it? Yeah, because I mean they they don't have eyes to see it, so who's watching it? Maybe it's for the it's for the worms, mm-hmm. <laughs> which also don't have very big eyes to go. Uh, it was a thought that count they didn't realize that the worms didn't have a like, great eyesight they're like something's slithering around down here we might as well put on a show yeah it also makes me think that maybe it doesn't cost so much to just be like oh we're gonna glow when we get big so we might as well glow now it's just yeah. like their default instead but not too much energy is being used or anything mm-hmm. yeah but there's a lot of stories about it because it's spooky if you're out in a dark forest and all of a sudden there's a light in the distance that you can't explain. And so yeah, the lure and lore, there's I love the old stories that reference like Willow and the Wisp or things like that. Because when you see luminescence in the distance and you're not 100% sure what you're seeing, it pulls you to it, right? It draws you in. And so I think that the uh, mushrooms are like that in the forest. It's like, what is that? And then you go toward it a lot of the you're time. You're expecting probably to see something that's either alive or some remnant of something, some person or something that had been there that was alive. And then you're like, there's nothing here. It makes it even kind of spookier. Yeah. There's actually a, an 
a region in the game called Glimwood Tango, which it's populated with different mushrooms that glow and it lights your path. It is unfortunately the opposite of spooky in my opinion. So another missed opportunity of having like a really super scary scene. But it's cool to see, to hear that it like matches up. Yeah, and I like that they're using mushrooms as a, the lighters, as the luminescent strike. Instead of a plant. Instead of a wrong plant. <laughs> Some genetically modified plant. Can I eat this uh, jack-o'-lantern mushroom or is it you poisonous? You not eat jack-o'-lantern mushrooms. And the only uh, big risk is that they are the closest to, in looks, to the really delicious chanterelle. So the orange kind of coloration of chanterelle and the deep gills are, they're pretty distinguishable, but they're the most commonly mistaken for each other. The good news is it won't kill you, but it will not make you feel good. But I'll glow. <laughs> but also I feel like anything that glows, probably not a great idea to eat. It's kind of like when you like, when like the rainforest frogs that are bright colors are poisonous i feel like that that glowing mushroom is just like giving me the same vibe like hey don't eat me yes and i don't know all the details but when you hear that two fireflies eating two fireflies could make you very very sick one probably could also make you kind of sick but two can put you over the edge uh i think if you've ever smelled it or tasted it there's nothing attractive about the chemicals that they put out so i do agree that luminescence is probably either really bad tasting or maybe hurt you just in general bioluminescence is not tasty i would put it in a way it's like that the tag is... the tagline of the show bioluminescence is not tasty <laughs> I like that as a title. I've never enjoyed eating anything that's bioluminescent. It tastes bad. I don't think I've ever tried to eat anything that was bioluminescent just because I feel like glowing <laughs> things are, my brain is like, you're, you're, you probably shouldn't eat that. You're one step ahead of me. No, I feel like I'm having that reaction. You're a step too. ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Gretchen, <laughs> what did you uh, eat? <laughs> I tried the astrakhan. Oh my God. I definitely licked the uh, firefly off of my hand. Like, yeah, that was in my um, younger days. The astrocod was like, uh, yeah, try it. Ray, I know you've fair. tried urchin. Do they bioluminous? No, but I'm just saying it's it's oh, okay. common to like try try. Oh, try, try your model, your model organism. organism. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably not do that in my life work. <laughs> 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 I agree. I agree, please. <laughs> It'd be very interesting to be like, yeah, you like completely agree. You're like, I've done <laughs> For it. For sure, absolutely. Don't we all? <laughs> well, on the topic of fireflies and them not tasting good, how about we talk about a Pokemon that we'll probably never talk about on this podcast again, which is Volbeat, a very forgettable Pokemon. It is, I believe, the firefly Pokemon. It is. It almost looks like a ladybug, if you've never seen it I feel it like it looks like more like a ladybug than it does a firefly, for sure. I agree, which is why when I was going through the Pokedex, I was just like, oh, this is supposed to be a firefly? I thought it was just a weird, uh, more black blue and red ladybug my question for it is it's described as having this bioluminescence and kind of the other pokemon we talked about with the fish and then the different mushrooms is this a similar type of bioluminescence then like that these other creatures use since this one's now a terrestrial invertebrate yeah so most of the fireflies they produce their own chemicals that then mix in their abdomen to produce the green light and so it makes sense that that's kind of the model that they've used for volbeat Although most of the fireflies are definitely that green color that's kind of distinct. And they have crazy abdomens that are very like species specific that are like, hey, look at the shape of this abdomen versus this one that can be kind of fun to think about. So I just think it's weird that Volby has like just like a tiny little, I don't know, like circled tail on it. Like that, that's its glow. 
I don't, it looks like a Halloween costume tail, like just like popped on the bug, like that a a college girl would like have on, like oh look, I'm being a bunny rabbit <laughs> for Halloween. It, but that's Wolby's little bioluminescent area. So, do you guys know if Illumise, which is also the firefly-like female um, Pokemon, that's like the counterpart to Bulbeat? This is one of the groups that has like two different. It's like a female-only species versus Bulbeat as its male counterpart. I think that's kind of interesting to apply to fireflies because they like flash back and forth. And female fireflies, some of them are super interesting in that they'll actually like use their luminescence to draw in males of other species and then eat them. And so that's yeah, oh. they have a femme fatale. So I'm they mean, do she's this, a like... man eater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I did think it was interesting learning about Volbeat and the fact that uh, they separate out, although they don't take advantage of that trait when they describe Illumise. Oh yeah, I guess Illumise is also the Firefly Pokemon. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and they counteract it by saying that Illumise uses sweet aromas to lure in Volbeat is kind of blasphemy from what you're saying in terms of real life uh, fireflies. It might be true if she lures him in if they're like the same taxa and she's not going to like destroy him. But there are definitely like species of fireflies that use luminescence for predation. I feel like fireflies just got a lot cooler to me <laughs> now that I know that like lady fireflies are like, hey. Yeah. Playing that big, I, big femme fatale role. I'm like, all right, they cool now. It is fun. The fireflies do like the male call, female response, and like more back and forth communication. The ostracods are the sea fireflies that I'm talking about. Just the males are the signalers and the females will come and like, reproduce. I think it's fun too that like when you're talking about the... um fireflies that like i feel like a lot of times in nature like the male species gets all like the fun things like that so like the fact that fireflies <laughs> use that to like female fireflies use that to like bring in prey is kind of fun when because like you said a lot of times like in other things it's the males that have the pretty colors or the lights or whatever it is so good for those fireflies and if you like it in the fireflies i didn't bring it up but the anglerfish actually have one of the coolest reproductive strategies and I noticed that like uh, Chinchou and Lantern were 50-50 in like male-female. But in most anglerfish, they, uh, the only ones that you would see big with the luminescence structure, those would all be the females. And so male anglerfish are actually, especially in the most common group, they're these tiny little, so the female can grow like one and a half meter and the males will get to one and a half centimeter and he'll come up and he'll latch into her circulatory system and literally like lose all other parts of his body and just turn into like a big bunch of gametes or like testes and then fertilize the female. So they basically, they call it a parasite. And so, or well, it's different than a parasite, but you get the idea, it like feeds off her. So a female can have like multiple males just attached to her donating sperm while she swims around and luminesces and feeds the whole group. So am I like mistaken or I feel like I learned somewhere can't like she like hold off and like wait to use the sperm like when she wants when it's she's in like a safe place to like for reproduction and stuff yeah I think they get to trigger like the release from those males yeah based on her conditions and what her situation is for gametes and stuff I want to see like an accurate lantern now with like just the... like a bunch of little guys like <laughs> attached to it with no glowing parts to <laughs> I it <don't> know. <laughs> It'd be like they could get like stronger though when they like have these like <gasps> that'd be yeah. cool. I like that idea. Pretty interesting. 
Hmm. That'd be fun. So we quite covered quite a lot of different species of Pokemon and real life organisms and different forms of bioluminescence. I have a question for you, Gretchen, before we wrap up then. If you had your choice to add either a Pokemon or like a feature of bioluminescence into the Pokemon world, what would it be? Wow. I think, Ray, that you kind of hit on it earlier is I think that really they've Pokemon's just scratched the surface of possibilities when it comes to the ways luminescence can be used and how it could be portrayed across different types of kind of organisms and uses. And it would not be hard to dig into the uses in the ocean and some of these worms and crustaceans to think about some new beings. Of course, I'm biased with the ostracod, but some of the worm talk we just had and the, the scale worms and things, I think could be pretty spectacular. But with uh, 90% of the deep ocean and us learning so much more all the time, it seems like there's opportunities for at least a full new deck. I also agree like that. That worm with the scales is like, that would make such a cool Pokemon. I would love that. Well, this was absolutely lovely. Thank you for coming on and talking about bioluminescence with us, Gretchen. Are there places folks can follow your work or check out what you've done that you'd like to provide? We can even put links in the show notes for different topics. Sure. So I have a webpage that folks can jump on to see some of my recent work and publications. We can, that will also send you to links of uh, some recent science article and New York Times articles regarding the work. And if you want to see the face to go with the voice, the system, the AstroCAD system that I work on is featured along with a lot of other bioluminescence species and features can be seen in a documentary called Life That Glows or Light on Earth. It came out under two different names. It is streaming at Amazon or on CuriosityStream. Awesome. I'll find that link and I'll put it in the Discord for folks to, to check out and see if I can put it in the show notes as well. Uh, thank you again, Gretchen. This is great. Any last words from folks? No, but I really appreciate you being here and I've learned so much already. So I hope everyone else learns a ton from you as well. I know they will. And thank you for being with us. Yeah, thanks for letting me shed some light on the science of bioluminescence while exploring <laughs> the world of Pokemon with you both. Hey, thank you. Okay, listeners, talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.